This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Two weeks ago, we started talking about some principles that I picked up out in Colorado last month from the guy who was the speaker there for the week. And um, it was a couple's retreat, so it was kind of geared toward that, but I immediately saw it as, as something that applies to everybody. Everybody, every age, every life situation, every race, color, creed, background, economic status, whatever. And just started digging into it and really um, praying over it, going to the Word of God about these principles uh, and reading, researching. We're going to be talking about it for a little while. And um, it's, it's going to take us, I realized this past week, to four very important areas of life. And Bruce started preaching about these four areas every January, a long time ago, when he was still pastoring the Mission Church in Atlanta. Um, and he probably went for 15, 17, 18 years preaching on these four principles every, or four areas of life every January. Um, and then a few years ago, uh, he, he kind of put it aside. But as I was thinking, praying, studying this past week, I thought, you know, I think this is a great way to illustrate and to teach about these principles that I've been thinking about is to concentrate on these four areas of life. Now, there's one or two of them you're not going to like, but you're not allowed to skip church on those Sundays, okay? So if, if, if one's coming up that you say, oh, I think I'll stay away, no, that's not allowed. So uh, you have to be here. As a matter of fact, that's probably an indicator that you need to be here that Sunday more than any other if you're avoidant to it. So the four areas of life are faith, fitness. So let me start over. Faith, family, fitness, and finance. Okay? So not here to shame anybody, not here to uh, criticize anybody. got my own stuff to deal with. I know which uh, areas I'm stronger in, which areas I'm weaker in. Teaching myself as much as anybody all the time, every time I'm up here, that's the case. And so um, faith, family, fitness, and finance, we all deal with all four of those, right? Uh, even, even our kids need to be learning these things early on. There are a lot of things, you know, that all of us wish we had learned earlier in life. I tell Tracy all the time, I'm very slow and simple-minded, and it seems to me like that I learned things way later in life than some people learned them a lot earlier in life. But at least I'm learning. At least I'm open to learning. I always want to learn. I love to learn. That's why I study. That's why I research. That's why I read. <clears throat> and so... All four of those areas we all deal with, we're dealing with our faith, we're dealing with our families, we're dealing with fitness, and we're dealing with finance. And we are contending with them, and we'll get to that in a minute. But even if you're doing nothing about it, that is a form of contending. We need to always keep that in mind, that to choose to do nothing is a form of contending. It's a bad way to contend, but it is contending. It's as if you got into the ring 
for a boxing match or an MMA fight or whatever, and your opponent's over there and he's prepared and he's ready and he's on the offensive and you decide just to stand there and let him pound on you. Well, you're in the ring. You have no choice now. You're a, a participant in it. You are a contender. That's what they would call you. But if you just do nothing, you're going to get beaten into the mat. But that's your form of contending. It's not going to work out well for you, right? <clears throat> so dealing in these four areas of life, we, we have to go back, or we don't have to, but we're going to go back into the principles that I brought up two weeks ago. And not everybody was here. And we're going to do little reminders every time I'm talking about it because of the, you know, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but attendance here is not like a, a real, real strong attribute for, for just about all of us, including me. You know, we, we are here when we can be here. We're not here when we can't be here or don't want to be here or have something else to do. And I don't get, I don't get knotted up about that. You know, I do my own stuff. It's back, you know, I always think of when I start talking about that, about how Dean and Cheryl's boys earned Sunday school pins for like 50 years, you know, <laughs> or their whole, how many years was it that Jonathan? 12 years, never missed Sunday school one time in 12 years. So if they had somewhere to go on a, on a Sunday afternoon, they got him to Sunday school first. You know, and, and it's a different day, though, right? I mean, it's a different day and time, and we don't do Sunday school, so it would be hard to do that. But So forget about that, it, but I'll do little reminders for the sake of, you know, those of us who are in and out. And so the... the um, Principles I'm talking about that I picked up out there are innocence, tragedy, contending, and resolution. And these are, as I said, things that I see that are applicable to every human being that lives. Okay, we're going we're gonna to hone in on one of them more than the others. And, and you'll understand why in a minute. But first to the innocence. Every single one of us and every single baby that's ever born into the world, ever has, ever is, ever will, is born into innocence. They, they are not guilty of anything. Um, they don't understand the difference between right and wrong, so they don't make choices between right and wrong. Uh, an infant, a toddler may do something that's wrong, but it's not because they knew it was wrong and they made a, a conscious decision to do what was wrong over what was right. Therefore, they are innocent. Everybody's born into innocence. Secondly, everybody at some point in life has to deal with tragedy. Tragedy takes on all kinds of different forms, can involve all sorts of different elements and circumstances. Tragedy may involve other people in our lives, or it may just be us dealing with it by ourselves. But every single human being has to deal with tragedy. I've said this before. If it hasn't happened to you yet, not to instill fear in you, not to be a prophet of doom, but it's on its way. So it's better to be wise enough to know it's coming than to bury our heads in the sand and act like it's not coming. <clears throat> I think that if we know it's coming, we can better prepare ourselves on how to contend with it when it does show up. 
That takes us to the third word, which is the word contending. So this is the one we're going to hone in on more than any others. Why? Because it's the first one and the only one you come to where you have a choice. This is now where you get to decide what you're going to do. You get to make decisions about how you're going to deal with the tragedy that has bothered your innocence. Okay? When it comes to the contending, it's, it's like tragedy in a sense that there are all sorts of ways it can happen, all sorts of elements and circumstances that can be involved. But the difference is, when it, with the tragedy, you don't choose whether it happens or not. It'd be nice if we could because then none of us would choose it and the world would be a perfect place, right? We don't get to choose that. We don't get to choose whether or not we're born into innocence. It happens. We don't get to choose whether or not we're going to deal with tragedy. It happens. We do get to choose how to contend. Again, to choose to do nothing is a form of contending. It's the wrong form. It's not going to produce the right results, but it is a form of contending. Therefore, there's no such thing as not contending. We must contend. It's a matter of how we choose to contend. Let me pause and say, if you hear these things that I'm talking about and I'm going to talk about in the weeks to come, if you embrace the right pathways, if you choose to pick up the right tools and the right weapons with which to contend, it's going to make more difference in a positive way than you can ever imagine or proclaim or believe right at this moment. This is really important stuff for all of us. The contending is where we're going to focus because there's going to be a resolution of some sort. That's the fourth word. There's going to be a resolution. Little pieces of your life resolution are going to happen as you live it out. Ultimately, there will be a final resolution on your life. When I die, they're going to write an obituary. Right? I really want to write my own, probably will. I one time sat down and wrote two for me. One based on whether I contend the right way ongoing, and one based on if I don't. I have those written down somewhere. I'd like to write my own obituary. I would actually like to record myself being the speaker at my own service. I don't know if I'll do that or not. Probably not. But I'd like to. There's going to be a final resolution. The likelihood it will be summed up adequately in your obituary is almost nil. Right? Number one, because whoever's writing it 
is not going to be able to verbalize everything that should be verbalized about your life. There's not enough space. They don't have the words. Secondly, nobody wants to be 100% honest when it comes to talking about somebody's life after they've died. Right? We want to talk about the good, and we don't want to talk about the not-so-good. Believe me, I'm not suggesting getting up at anybody's memorial service and let, uh, dropping the hammer on them. What's the point? I think it's a good idea to focus on the good. As a matter of fact, when I speak at people's funerals, uh, I, that's what I do, is I'm going to focus on what was good, what was productive, what was positive, and the bottom line is I want everybody to walk out of the room having something they can, that they've learned from that life that they can make decisions off of that will make their life a better life. Okay? But all of us are going to have some bad that could be part of the report. True? Is anybody in the room that that's not the case with you? It's all good. So, there's going to be a final resolution... Here's the good news. Regardless of what that, resolu or, or what that resolution ends up being, whatever the bad was, if the final resolution is what God intended it to be, intends it to be, and is pleased with, then the bad that was part of the recipe along the way doesn't matter. So that's really why we don't have to get up and talk about it for those who go to sleep in the Lord, whose spirits enter His presence. He's pleased. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't have to talk about that stuff, right? We don't even have to think about that stuff. It was there, yeah, it was part of life. Maybe we remember it, but it doesn't matter. It's gone. So, how, where's the best place to go in the Scripture? If we're going to start talking about contending... <clears throat> I fought against this for a while and finally gave in because I think that the Christian mind, if you're going to talk, start talking about contending, about waging war, about uh, fighting battles in life, the Christian mind that is at all familiar with Scripture is going to go to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians. Well, that's where we're going. I didn't want to go there because I never want to go where the average Christian mind goes, frankly. But... Because of everything that's included in it, I think it's a good place for us to go. So can we get it on the screen? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 20. It's, it's not coincidental in this case, I think, that the first few verses of the chapter start out by talking about family. So Family, one of the four F's that I brought up a few minutes ago, faith, family, fitness, and finance, is addressed by the Apostle Paul first thing in this famous chapter on spiritual warfare. I'm just going to read through it. I'm going to read through all 20 verses. We're just going to take a quick overview of it that way. Then we're going to lay aside this instruction on family until we get to family because we're going to talk about faith first. I'm of the very strong opinion 
that if your faith life is not in order, listen, some of y'all got screwiness going on in parts of your life, stuff that's out of whack, missing pieces to the puzzle. You ever played Jenga where you build the tower out of the little thing? And you just feel like that, that there's a piece sticking out of your Jenga tower, and if it moves one fraction of one inch, it's just going to fall over. You've got problems, you've got confusions, you've got complications, you've been, wa- you've been waging war against them in your own way for a long time. Maybe you've made some progress, but it's still there. I'm 100% convinced that if you've got issues in your family, you've got issues in your finances, you've got issues with your kids, your family situation, you've got issues with your health, something is out of whack with your faith. That's why we have to start with faith. Now, when I said that about your health, all of us get sick here and there. All of us have to deal with living in a broken world after the fall where sickness and pain and, uh, and disease and all that happens and all of us deal with it here and there from time to time. Okay, but I'm talking about chronic kind of nagging, unexplainable health problems that seem to have, nobody can diagnose it, nobody can get to the bottom of it, no medication seems to, to fully correct it, and you're just always dealing with it. Listen, do not ignore the fact or the, the possibility, the strong possibility that there may be something in your spiritual life, in your faith life, that you need to deal with that is at the root of whatever's going on with you physically. That's what I'm talking about with that. So let's read this through, then we'll go back and start dealing with our faith. Children, obey... Gabby, I didn't mean to look at you right when I started reading that. I honestly did not. (laughs) But I'm afraid that... uh, Maybe you thought I did that on purpose. I didn't. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win, to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. I'm going to pause right there before I read this last part to say that I also started to extract the few verses there about slaves and masters. Because I was dealing with how does that apply? 
should I just X that out? Should I talk about children and parents and fathers and mothers and all that and then just go down to being strong in the Lord and in His mighty power? But it, it struck me that maybe I should mention something here. That Jesus was living in a time and Paul was living in a time and the whole New Testament happened in a time when slavery was a part of regular life. It was a part of regular life in the Roman Empire. It was also a part of life in the Jewish culture. So it wasn't something that the Romans had exacted on the Jews. The Jews had been, ha had been living in societies with slavery for nearly their entire history. Okay, so does that make slavery a good thing? No. Does it make slavery a right thing? No. But when you're living in a culture where you don't have the power to make all the decisions to, make, to set everything right, you have to deal with whatever the culture offers to you in a godly way. Do you agree with that? You have to think about that in a godly way. When you're dealing with things about your government that you don't like, that you don't agree with, that you don't appreciate, that maybe impact you negatively, what's the correct answer? And this is my first real lesson on contending. It has to be a kingdom answer. It has to be a kingdom attitude and a kingdom response. It has to be the right mentality. It has to come from the Spirit of God. It can't be carnal. If we have a carnal response to carnality, then we're just all carnal. Right? So Paul is telling them, since we live in this society where this exists, this is the way we should do it. We should treat each other with respect. We should treat each other with kindness. We should hear each other's opinions and ideas. We should be cordial. We should be compassionate. We should be benevolent. Regardless of who is where on the social ladder. We love God and we love people because all people are God's people. And so, and another point is that even if you're not talking about slavery, but you're talking about us going out and going to work every day. And we're working for a boss. Well, that, in a sense, can be compared to like a slave and his master, right? We, we wouldn't call that at work. But our boss may not, may not do everything, uh, function in every way like we would like for him to. We might have different opinions. But if we're not the boss, then we submit ourselves to the boss. We have a workable spirit. We have a cooperative spirit, Right? And we work hard no matter what kind of a job we're in. Because if I want this job, but I'm in this job, what do you think is the best way for me to get myself to this job? It's to be an outstanding employee in this job. Right? I, I just, I get frustrated by people. And I've hired and fired and dealt with a lot of people. You know, through the years, there, there was a time in, in my role at City of Refuge where I had about 60 employees who were under my administrative oversight. I couldn't tell you how many people I've hired and how many people I've had to send away. But here's the thing. You have somebody come, that comes in on a job and they start the job, parts of the job they don't really enjoy and, all, and so they want a different job. They come to you and they express, well, I don't like this job, I'd like to have that job. 
and, and I've seen them go. And because they don't like this job and they want that job, they start to do a pretty poor job on this job. Is that the way to get to that job? No, the way to get a boss's attention when an opening comes up over here is he's going to be thinking about who has done an outstanding job over here. Right? So it's the same, same sort of principle applies there. And then, probably more well-known than any of the rest of this, starts at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Everybody say the word stand. All right, that's a really important word. We're going to talk about a good bit. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I also did not extract verses 19 and 20 because I would like for you to do that for me. As a matter of fact, I think I'll read that again because this is heavy. This is important stuff. I feel a huge level of responsibility and I wonder after every encounter with you on Sundays or whenever it is, I wonder what I said that was not right. I wonder what I said that came from me. I wonder what I said that may have led you in a direction you shouldn't be going. I wonder what I said that doesn't completely align with the Word of God. Paul says, and I say, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me. I don't want you to get my words. My words are useless. Words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel over which I am an ambassador in chains and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Thank you for those prayers. Now, spend just five or ten minutes here contending concerning our faith. And Paul says... Put on the full armor of God. I've heard this preached and taught so many different ways. It is powerful stuff. You can, you can spend years here and never get to the bottom of it. A couple things stood out to me in it that I haven't really thought about before. First of all, 
There are only two things presented here that we should be doing that are offensive in nature. Everything else is playing defense. Everything else is playing defense. I haven't thought about that because the way I have considered somewhat out of my own reading and study and prayer, somewhat out of reading other people's material, listening to sermons or lessons, I have always considered Ephesians 6, the portion about the whole armor of God and spiritual warfare, to be an absolutely offensive effort. Uh, An instruction to take up your weapons and fight. Well, this time, I have meditated on this a lot and prayed over it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't take up weapons to fight because we're certainly instructed to do so. But you have to consider here that out of the number of things that are offered to us that we have to do, only two of them are offensive. Those two are the sword, which is what? The Word of God and prayer. The word and prayer are offensive. Those are weapons we actually use in an aggressive, forward motion in spiritual war. But what about the rest? What about the breastplate of righteousness? I'm not in battle going to take my breastplate off and start trying to pound my opponent over the head with it. Because as soon as I do that, he's going to take his sword or spear, and while I'm trying to get the heavy breastplate up here to hit him with it, he's going to run me through and kill me. It's a defensive implement. It's to protect my vitals, my heart and my organs, my torso, the place where that if you suffer an egregious injury, you're probably not going to survive it. It's a protection. It's defensive. What about this helmet of salvation? Same thing. I don't take it off and use it as a weapon like the guy from the Browns did against the quarterback for the Steelers a couple years ago. You leave the helmet on. You're in a football game and you decide it'd be a good idea to take your helmet off while your opponent leaves his on for a fight. Well, you're stupid. The helmet is placed on It's left intact as a defensive implement. If you ride a horse and put a helmet on, it's so that if you fall, you don't hurt your head. If you ride a bicycle, you put a helmet on. A motorcycle, you put a helmet on. 
It's for protection. It's for a defensive measure against something bad happening to your head. What about this belt of truth? The belt, first of all, we'll get to the truth later. The, the symbolism of it being a belt of truth is powerful. When we come to worship, beautiful time of worship this morning, I think it's a beautiful time of worship because more and more we are aligning ourselves inside the truth of who He is and inside the truth of His plan for our lives. Therefore, our worship is more effective and it's a two-way street. Right? But the belt also, literally in battle, served another purpose. It wasn't just to hold up the britches. The belt was there for you to have your water container, your canteen on, other things that you might need as a soldier while you're out there that you're not necessarily going to pull out and fight with, but they are necessary for your survival of just being out there in a campsite environment, surviving and living and being a soldier. But also when you go out to battle, it's going to be holding what's up here and what's down here together. It's defensive. The shield of faith, the, the, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield that you hold out in front of you, right? When you advance, you have that shield on one arm and you have your weapon in the other hand, one offensive and one defensive. But like I said, of the things that are listed, all of them powerfully important, two things are offensive. And that is the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God and prayer. So I'm just going to send you out of here with this today because I think, I, I in no way want us to get ahead of ourselves in this study and in this conversation. I want it to take the exact trajectory that it needs to take to impact us the way it needs to. All right? And so I want to send you out of here with an absolute commitment that the Word and prayer are going to inundate, saturate everything about everything in your life so that when you come in here to absorb the words and for the Spirit to deal with your heart, you are already well down the pathway of being prepared for what He has to give you. Okay? Secondly, you can expect this, okay? Get ready. I said expect tragedy if it hadn't happened. Well, also, you can expect when the, that when you get really serious about your advancement in the kingdom, about being part of a community that is absolutely committed to advancing the kingdom, the enemy is going to show up to give you trouble, right? He's going to show up to give you trouble. We as a group may see it, the trouble show up. You as an individual, if you commit, trouble is going to show up. 
How do we deal with the trouble? Beyond that, in our society in general, we're facing the trouble, which can be overwhelming, which can be really discouraging. It can, it can, you know, I've said this before, I look at the news headlines once in a while, <clears throat> every couple of days or so, just to sort of stay abreast in case something major's happened and somebody says something, I'll know what they're talking about. I can't sit and read it for long because I start to feel it in my neck and shoulders pushing me down, and I don't like that feeling. You know, I can't leave my television on a, a news station. Boy, it just starts wearing on me. I had to go to the liquor store. Just kidding. If you're inclined toward liquor, it'll send you. What's the answer? The answer never changes. The answer to bigging up our faith, increasing our faith, building muscle on our spiritual beings, the answer to being in better health spiritually, better able to face adversity, temptation, tragedy when it comes, is the Word and prayer, period. The Word and prayer, what do we expect? We keep waiting on somebody to show up with a flash in the pan, an instantaneous miracle, you know, some big nugget of gold that nobody's ever heard of that's going to change everything about the spiritual walk. I think they're about over, but remember the days of the big revivals up in Canada and down in Florida and everywhere and people jumping in their cars and driving hours and hours and hours to get there to see the glory of God come down, to witness miracles, to get a miracle from them, for themselves. Beautiful illustration of what I'm talking about. We're chasing God all over the planet, wanting Him to do something in our lives when He just wants us to sit down, be quiet, consider His Word, enter into serious communion and fellowship and prayer with Him, and let Him do that thing in us that He has planned to do in us. The Word, you have to eat the Word daily. It's an insult to me, if I know it, or if I would know it, for you to come in here on Sundays and expect me to give you the word that you need. That's an insult. It should be an insult to every preacher and Bible teacher in the world that people would walk into their sanctuary and expect them to fill them up spiritually. My only responsibility here is to compliment what you're already doing. So if you're not doing it, don't expect nothing from me. You have to have the Word or you are malnourished. You are anemic. You are weak and you're not productive in the kingdom if you are not devouring the Word on a daily basis. And there are no acceptable excuses. I don't have time is not an acceptable excuse. You have time to eat physical food. You have time to eat spiritual food. 
I don't understand the scripture is not an excuse. Get a message Bible, get a, get a translation you can understand because there's plenty of them out there. And don't worry about, about whether one has some errors or some language is different from another one. When you sit down with it, you see, you never, ever go to the Word unless you go to the Word by the Spirit. Well, Jeff, how do you do that? You sit down with it, and you say, Father, I am so inadequate, I'm so incapable of absorbing or understanding anything that comes from you because you're God and I'm well, look at me. I pray your Holy Spirit would show up right here. Committing myself to this time with you and your word. But I need your Holy Spirit to illuminate the words on these pages. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. They light up when the Spirit shows up. I'm telling you, I know this is where I live. I experience this. I have experienced it in profound fashion this past week when I have sat down with His Word and it has lit up. Why is it that I see something in Ephesians 6 that I haven't seen before? Because He lit it up. You know, you, you read something a thousand times and all of a sudden, there it is. You never saw it before. The entire foundation of my spiritual experience is based on that. It's based on a situation that happened with me when I sat in the Gospel of John and read the story that Jesus taught about wise and foolish builders. And my whole life at 40, 41 years old, my whole life growing up in church, I had thought that that lesson was about being saved, being a Christian, going to church, loving God, reading your Bible. If you do that, you're a wise person building his house on a rock. If you don't do that, you're a sinner and a heathen. Your house is being built on sand. That house is going to collapse. And all of a sudden, one day in my early 40s, I'm sitting with the Word. I say, Holy Spirit, illuminate. I need your help. I want to understand what is Jesus really saying here. And I saw the first opening phrase to it that I'd never noticed before it lit up on the page. Whoever hears what I say and does it is like a wise man. Obedience. 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 And all of a sudden, obedience became better than all the sacrifices I'd ever made. By the Spirit, you can't read the Word of God the way you read the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Because it has a beginning and, and an end, Huck Finn does. It, you, you can study the characters, you can study the plot until you exhaust it. The, the Word of God is the only work of literature ever in the history of humanity to which there is no end, there is no beginning, there is no bottom, there is no top. And every time you go to it, you can find something you never found before. 
You have to have it. It's contending when you go to the Word. You want to know how to contend for your faith? Contend in the Word and prayer. Man, what to say about prayer? Who's living without prayer? And I'm not talking about, Lord, we thank you for this food, and we pray that you'd bless it to the nourishment of our bodies. Yeah, it's fried chicken and gravy and biscuit, but bless it to the nourishment of my body. And I think God wants to reach down and just go, Bap! what are you talking about? Thank me for food, but don't ask me to bless that mess to the nourishment of your body. That's not even prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Yeah, pray that if you want to, Haley. Go ahead. But, you know, do something else too. You know, let's get a little personal. With, as a matter of fact, I've got a suggestion for you. It probably won't be the first time you heard me say it. Don't just have a prayer time. Have a prayerful life. Diane, you're making a sandwich at the deli, praying at the same time. Mr. Jimmy, when you're out doing all that work you do outside at home, praying at the same time, right? Doyle, when you got three grandkids at the beach, God bless you. And Bentley's one of them. Pray. Just be praying at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Right? Prayerful. Prayerful. Full of prayer. Having a prayerful lifestyle. Do you know how much junk that we think and say will be pushed out of the way if we replace it with a prayerful lifestyle and we're not really even deciding we're going to do away with that. We're just deciding we're going to embrace this and when we embrace this, this will automatically do away with that. So, take up the sword of the Spirit Last thing, and pray. Our response to bad news, bad politics, bad government, bad economy, a bad relationship, a natural disaster, a tragedy in our lives, being flat broke, being sick, anything negative that comes our way. Our response as kingdom sons and daughters is the word and prayer. I just felt guilt land on me because how often have I talked about this politician or that one, this decision by Congress or that, Supreme Court, social groups, people who are living alternative lifestyles? You know what my response to thinking about that kind of stuff is? These people are broken. These people are lost. 
These people need the Lord. These people need me to pray. These people need to me to continue to speak words of truth. These people need my love. These people need my compassion. They don't need me to love and tolerate their disobedience or their sin, but they need me to love them. Why? Because if I go to the Word, Jesus says, love them. So how do I, as a kingdom son, know what Jesus says and then just choose not to do it? That doesn't align with whoever hears what I say and then does it. The response is the word and prayer. The word and prayer. So, if you are willing to make this commitment with me, then I'm asking you this week to go hang out in Ephesians 6. Okay? Hang out in, this is giving you a good launch pad. I'm telling you to hang out in the Word. Well, let's all hang out in the same spot for a minute. I think there's power in that. And let's pray. Let's pray. Let's be a prayerful bunch of people this week. Okay? If you do that, next week is going to rock you a little more than this week. Listen, we got... When was it? 19 when the land was donated? 2019 the land was donated. So it'll be three years into this month since we acquired that land. Three years. And we talked about it and we talked about the financial uh, gift that was pledged that has not yet come in. And, we, and so finally, as you've noticed, here for about six or eight months, I haven't mentioned it because I made a decision I'm not just going to keep talking about that and expecting something about that and whatever. We're just going to be a family. We're going to have some good fellowship times here. We're going to continue to do the ministries through with kids and food outreach and in the community and whatever. And we're going to respond whatever the Lord puts in front of us. Not just going to sit around and wait. But in terms of that, we've been in a little bit of a wait mode. We've also been in a discipleship mode, a preparation mode. Because I'm telling you, we have important stuff heading our way. It's coming our way. And I'm not going to start talking about it again all the time either. But listen, City of Refuge uh, decided to do a $25 million capital campaign celebrating 25 years in existence. $25 million to raise. We haven't officially launched the campaign. It will launch sometime next month. We have our annual gathering this coming Thursday. In private conversations, private meetings, very quietly under the radar so far, we have raised 13 million of the 25 million. This is not funding that we're gonna have to wait on for some guy to sell his company as grateful as we will be for that when it happens. This is foundation money from places like Chick-fil-A and Woodruff and on and on. 
got a $5 million grant from one foundation that we've never gotten money from before. Which, by the way, is very interested in City of Refuge South and our plans. And I went to a meeting week before last at the Chastain Horse Park to talk about equestrian stuff and to see what they do and how they do it and to get advice and going to stay in communication with them. We have really important stuff coming up because City of Refuge communities, south of which is at the top of the list, is going to benefit from the campaign. So we're a few months out, but we're going to be moving some dirt and doing some stuff before long. We've got very important stuff coming up. Our HOC South program is still small, but man, we're glad to have these ladies here, and that's going to continue to be an important part of who we are and what we do. Kingdom stuff. This is why we've been in preparation. Discipleship. Because if you're not solid in your faith, you're not going to be an effective part of it. You can hang around, occupy a chair if you want to, but you won't be a productive part of it. And I want all of us to be a productive part of it. Father, you're good, and I've talked way longer than I meant to, but I think that you have spoken to us and you have challenged us and you have directed us back to things that we already know, really, and that is that your word is powerful, your word is sharp, your word is necessary, your word is life, your word is light. It's where we have to go if we have any hope of victory in our kingdom walk. Thank you for teaching us that again. Thank you for our reminder about prayer and how vital it is. It's like blood. If we don't have it, we're dead. If our lives are not prayerful lives, then we're just walking around like zombies in terms of our spiritual existence. Thank you for your reminders. Thank you for these people. I love them. I know you love them. We're a family. We thank you that you've given us each other and you've given us this place at this time. I pray that your peace, power, and provision and protection will go with us and bless the financial gifts that people give today. I know that uh, those sacrifices are, um, are show our commitment to your work here at City of Refuge South, and we're grateful. We love you. We honor you. We point the glory for any good work or word to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.